0: tech talk with matthew dickerson matthew dickerson tech 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 talk talk. sit back and relax it's time to talk technology hello unsimulated forms of intelligence welcome to another fully baked fresh out of the oven episode of tech talk with matthew dickerson strap yourselves in for another 45 minute feast of futuristic delights and here clad in full length apron and oven mitts It's Matthew Dickerson himself. How are you, Matt?
1: Well, you are making an assumption there, James, that simulated forms of intelligence do not listen to this podcast. Maybe
0: they do. Yes, they do. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck to them. Yeah, that's good. Good luck to them. They're already (laughs) recording my voice and doing stuff with it.
1: Now, this week, obviously, you have tread the boards many times, but Uh this time in the latest amateur theatrical production here, here... you were behind the scenes. So yeah, that's right. I
0: got to push sets around and stuff like that. So yeah, that was that's good right. Fun. A bit, bit of a change Something for you. yeah.
1: But have you ever had the pleasure of being involved in the lights, and more specifically, on the spotlight.
0: Never done any of that sort of tech stuff. Mm. Yeah, and I reckon it's a pretty good, a pretty skillful job to track someone with a spotlight.
1: And pretty tough, because it's pretty obvious if you get it wrong. Yeah, that's right. Everyone notices <laughs> that's when right.
0: you go to sleep on the job.
1: If the actor goes left and you go right, whoops, I thought he was going to go that way. So it's a pretty tough job, and I've never done it either. I've certainly sat there beside people while they're doing it, and I've watched people and talked to people. It sounds like a real challenge, but... What I was impressed when I went and watched, well, I was impressed with the production, the latest production they put on. But I went up in the lighting area to have a look at some of the latest technology there, mm. and they had two new spotlights there that have got follow me technology.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. So
1: no longer do you have someone sitting on the spotlight hoping they get it right and making sure they're concentrating on every move. Yeah, movement. we've
0: run somewhere out of a job there, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's still, it's uh, it's amazing technology. It
1: was impressive, I and mean, I was watching it during the show, and it obviously just moved because obviously a human. Might be able to predict a little bit where someone's going, but mm. sometimes the human on stage—that's well, stage, what rehearsals are for. <laughs> that's right. Yeah,
0: but there's still the yeah, still a chance that you can get it wrong, I and mean, we've right. got this awesome technology for when rehearsals aren't necessarily, um, you know, fully staffed. Yeah, yeah, but
1: more to the point, a reaction time from the technology is close enough to instant compared yeah. to the reaction time of a human. So And I watched it as the actor moved, it was just following them perfectly around the stage. Yeah. So I was really impressed with that. And this is, of course, all new LED lighting, a lot more control over what you can do. The lighting, I must say, when I went and watched the show last night, the lighting itself was incredibly impressive yeah, and again spectacular. Yeah, yeah, that's all part of that whole new led set there but I, I didn't realize we had the follow me technology in the spot so that was a bit of a nice surprise
0: yeah and um for an amateur company it just gives them that professional edge um and uh yeah they look look fantastic well
1: the only thing amateur i saw about the production last night was the fact that the actors weren't being paid but everything yeah, that's else it. seemed that's professional it. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway very, well, very, very proud of the
0: job that we do here yes yeah all right enough of this lollygagging it's time to get on with the serious stuff Here's one to rally the teaching fraternity. Hmm. The UN has declared that smartphones in schools represent a major safety risk and should be banned. Matt, teachers all over Australia uh, are screaming, that's just reason number 37 of a whole bunch. What do they mean by safety r- risk for kids, though?
1: I do find it intriguing when you see a study come out where people are pay a lot of money to conduct some research and produce a report, and everyone goes, well, that's bleedingly obvious. Mm. But unfortunately, (laughs) bleedingly obvious is not good enough. It's got to have a well-paid report and research behind it. And so the UN, or UNESCO specifically, a UN agency, has said that, get ready for it. This might come as a big shock to you, so just be sitting down for this. Mobile phones, smartphones in particular, for students in the classroom can cause distractions. What? Yeah, I know. Fascinating privacy concerns, uh. and cyberbullying. <laughs> oh, I don't know right. how much someone was paid to come up with this report, yeah, but right.
0: this is it. So I think we've been dealing with that problem for 15 to 20 years already. Yeah, I think
1: you're spot on there. But interestingly enough, it does seem bloody obvious, but only about 25% of countries around the world have any policies or hmm. formal laws in place that prohibit phones in the classroom, in any educational institution. And we know that the state government here in New South Wales went to the last election promising to remove mobile phones from the classroom. Mm. So they've kind of woken up to it here in New South Wales, but obviously not a lot of places around the world. So in the UK, for example, it's up to each head teacher to make the decision about yeah, smartphones. Right. And you'd hope that it was a bit bigger decision there because it puts a fair bit of pressure. Yeah,
0: the school might have a united front on it. Yeah. But if it's just to each head teacher, I don't know, it's, when they say head teacher, do they mean principal or do they? Well, you know, That's an interesting sort of, because yeah. a head teacher in Australia means something very different.
1: Yeah, head teacher, I assume, was per subject mm. based on an Australian model, but maybe it doesn't mean principal in the UK. But one of the things they've done, one of the studies they did, which again seems bleedingly obvious, but let's be thankful that we've got a study now, that when they ban phones from a school and then check the academic performance of those same students in the same school, their academic performance went up. (laughs) 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 And there have been many studies that have been done to actually show that. So that's obviously an important part of it as well. So the really tough one to measure is the cyberbullying. And again, you can have your various marks and exams to show academic performance but mm. how do you demonstrate clearly cyberbullying do you look at the mental health of students it's hard to measure that so it's pretty interesting but again i think we can pretty much say that you've got phones in schools you're going to have some instances of cyberbullying and it's a bit harder to catch one of the kids one of the kids goes and calls someone names and the teacher hears it they can be in trouble. But how do you prove that a fake account they've got on social media that's picking on another student is really that student in particular? And talking
0: about mental health here, look, you know, bullying in the old days, you know, it's occurred for for time immemorial. um, But um, yeah, these days, you just can't get away from it. You're not even safe in the privacy of your own bedroom. No. and So um, yeah, look, um, there's a big weight there with cyberbullying.
1: That's right. The other thing that that didn't go into in this study, but we have talked about it before is screen time, you know, screen time that kids or adults Mm. for that matter are getting. So take away, students' phones during the day, then that obviously reduces their screen time, so that may be a For good sure. thing as well. So it seems logical and sensible. Maybe this is the next big health issue we're going to see in 20 30 years' time, the same as RSI become a big issue when everyone's playing games. Yeah. Maybe this is the next big health well, issue. Well, look, I've
0: got advo- uh, friends who are advocates, colleagues who are advocates of um, mobile phones in classes. You know, they, they're an excellent tool if used properly if used appropriately, um, but the abuse of them um, is just so rife that it becomes uh, unworkable. And as you say, there seems to be a link with um, improved academic results as well. One big problem with technology is that it develops too fast for the legal world to keep up. Now, in the age of smart everything, the Biden-Harris government, well... Well and truly after the horse has bolted, mind you, has introduced cybersecurity legislation to include a trust mark on all smart devices. Matt, what is this trust mark and how's it going to work?
1: I actually quite like the concept. One of the things that's very difficult for the average consumer is to buy a product and actually understand some of the implications of what that product will do overall.
0: Now, and that understanding is really important because there are so many facets to what techno- uh, technology can do now. Yeah. How can you understand it all as just a regular consumer and the all the ins and outs and the things that can go wrong?
1: And the thing I liked as a comparison was the energy star rating. We might be buying a washing machine, a refrigerator, whatever mm. it might be, and we think, right, does it do the wash cycle that I want? And how many clothes or what weight of clothes can I have in there, et cetera, et cetera? Oh, gee, now... It uses 300 watts. Is that a lot or is that not much? So actually having that energy star rating, we can just go, oh, good, it's four and a half stars. I'm happy with that. It helped
0: you to understand it a lot more clearly.
1: That's right, without having to go into the numerical side of it. Even if you said this washing machine can handle four and a half kilos in a load, I go, well, is it a big load or a small <laughs> load? So <laughs> never even the numbers around loads. <laughs> I'd never weigh those. So this is actually an interesting concept where they're coming up with the US cyber trust mark, which I think will be a de facto international cyber trust mark. And then they go through and look at minimum security standards for that product. And this is any product that can connect to the internet. So you'll see this cyber trust mark on fridges, mm. on cameras, on cars, because mm. cars, as we know, uh, many of those are now connected to the internet. So imagine the cyber trust mark on your car. You're looking at a whole range of things in your car, but I don't want that model because it hasn't got the cyber trust mark, so it mustn't be strong enough in its security. Yeah, that right. means I'll be driving on one day and someone will take control of the car, maybe. <laughs> so I'm not buying that one. So I think once this comes in, and it's, it's been announced now by the Biden government, but once it gets to be more common, and again, I'm, if I'm a manufacturer, manufacturing products for the US market well, I'm probably going to leave the cyber trust Mark, on there for international sales as well. Mm. What the heck? I'm not yeah. going to worry about two sets of packaging as such. So that seems like it's going to be But if it takes something.
0: off in the States, it'll take off in the Western yeah, world.
1: Yeah, that's right. Now, I think the main one is really cameras because we've talked before mm. on our podcast about the fact that someone's sitting there innocently with a camera keeping an eye on their children at night and someone's hacked in and there broadcasting live to the net what's happening with their children in their bedroom going to sleep there at night. So cameras, I think, will be the first one. But people probably don't realise what then happens with other parts of it. So it's probably not that good if someone could see how many litres of milk are in your fridge. Mm. So, I mean, these are the important things. But again, people might think it's a bit trivial about a fridge and who cares if you hack your fridge.
0: Until but, there's something that is a major intrusion of privacy.
1: Yeah, that's right. Until they hack the fridge and then take control of a camera on the fridge and they're sitting there watching you have breakfast each morning. So no. I think it's a good idea. I think it's one of the things that may be in the rush for technology companies to produce new products, new features, new, this is the must-have feature, sometimes some little important things like security get forgotten mm. about and maybe this will, be, will put a bit more of a razor focus on this. Amazon, Google, Samsung are all on board with this. so That's a good thing. Apple yet to comment, so wait and see what happens <laughs> yeah, there to with comment. Apple. <laughs> they'll what does that mean? They'll do yeah. it if they think it's popular for them. Yeah. But at the moment, anyway, some other big companies are on board, so it sounds like a good idea
0: one thing about tech talk is that we don't do anywhere near enough pet tech stories what gifts do you give a pampered pet that has absolutely no want for anything well, here's another question what gift, gift do you give to owners of the pets that have absolutely no want for anything matt the answer has to be dug deep in the latest tech surely
1: 83% of pet owners in North America and Europe possess some items of tech for their pets. For the at least pets. at least one <laughs> item of tech for their pet. So of all the people that own pets, 83% of them have got some tech items. And some of the tech items are reasonable and sensible, and some are just a bit over the top. <laughs> you've
0: got <laughs> Here things, we go. Strap yourselves in, folks. You've
1: got things like pet treadmills. Now, I'm not sure if you've got to put, for example, if you're a dog you put little pictures of cats on the screen in front so you can chase those harder and go faster. But I'm sure these treadmills have got some technology built in that can monitor things in your Yeah dog. I'm
0: assuming that they're not strapped by the collar to these things and then this thing's turned <laughs> on. I hope not. And you walk away <laughs> and come back in half an hour's time well, with this dog dragging the <laughs> <on a> treadmill. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. And and I know I know it sounds a bit silly pet treadmills, but my dad used to train greyhounds. And that was a big thing. I mean, he, he built his own pet treadmill, and it was basically, it was by the strap, but you would actually stand there and monitor it. Yeah, and, you would you be there. Yeah, You yeah, wouldn't you would walk be away. Off. That's right. Uh, but it was, <laughs> to uh, work for the day. Yeah. That's right. So you'd, you'd have these walkers, and, and they're professional ones now that lots of dog trailers have, but this is for your little chihuahua, and that sort of thing, yeah, yeah, pet yeah, yeah. treadmills. So you've got one there. We've got GPS collars. So we've talked about GPS collars before, and I, I still haven't done it yet, but I've got somewhere, but my little dog, which we're going to rename Houdini, gets out of Ah. our yard (laughs) and we can't work out where. So we've got to put a GPS tracker collar on the little dog just to see where it gets out of the yard because we think that'd be quite interesting. So one of the ones I just think defeats the whole purpose of owning a pet is an automatic ball launcher. So you can have oh. a little thing that you sit in your backyard yeah. and it launches the ball. You can set how far it goes. You can be reading goes. a book. Reading a book in the lounge room <laughs> and out in the backyard, dog getting some exercise, and you can set how far it goes because you might have a smaller yard or a larger yeah. yard. And all the dog's got to do is bring it back and put it...
0: And drop it back in the bowl. Now, so picked up and I don't
1: know what happens if the dog sits there and it's smart enough to go... I've worked out that it launches from here, so I'll stand right in front of it and then get launched straight in the face. So so maybe they thought about that. Tennis
0: ball to the head. That's
1: right. So we've got that one, which again seems to defeat the purpose a bit of playing with your dog. Yeah just a little bit. You've got some of the litter boxes that are connected as well and automatic feeding litter boxes, sorry, automatic feeders. (laughs) Not automatic feeding litter boxes, automatic feeders. So the litter box you can have connected so that it can tell you when there's too much stuff in there to go and get empty. Time to clean it out. That's right. And then the automatic feeders, obviously they'll just keep, so you can fill it up, you're going away for a couple of days, you leave the dog inside, doesn't sound that nice, but I'll get to that in a minute. And then it just automatically releases enough food as is required. You've also got automatic pet doors that you can have locked at certain times of the day so for example you do go away for a couple of days you want your dog to be able to go out and play with the automatic ball catcher in the backyard Mm. and the the doors can be set up with timers so for example you can come in at any time so the dog's out there at night time it meanders in at night time but you can only go out say through the hours of the day. So the dog's inside overnight. Once it comes in, it can't go out. But then in the morning, the sun's out, then the dog flap will let it and open up. And if it
0: misses its curfew, it's it in trouble. spends the night outside. Tr- well, no, you can cold. have it so
1: they can always come in.
0: Oh, okay. So the, the dog Sorry, flap will gotcha. always allow it in. So yeah, yeah, if it's yeah, out Yeah, it late, can't get out late. Yeah, fair right. enough. That's it that's, a good
1: idea. that's a good one. The other one that we see a bit of is cameras built in to your feeder with a screen. So you can interact with your oh, pet well while you're at really. work, <laughs> having a bit of a chew and some food. How are you going there, little rover? Lovely to see you. You're on a screen. The dog probably licks, the, the, dog, screen. The, <laughs> licks the screen. The dog the screen. I was just thinking, but I can anymore. <laughs> it sounds like you're doing so many things with your pets and with your pet tech that you probably shouldn't have a pet. Maybe it might being mm. too harsh on people here. If you're mm. going to do all these things with tech, then maybe you're not really actually playing with the dog. Maybe, maybe the
0: one bit of tech per dog.
1: That's a good idea, actually. I like that idea. So that's just some of the ones that we're seeing now. Uh, but again, we keep seeing people come up with more and more ideas. Yeah, they are. and coming that's got
0: to be a big market too, I reckon. Oh, a huge
1: market. But they are coming up with things we've talked about Robotic cleaners as well, but Mm. some of those robotic cleaners manage to miss any poo that might be left around because that's (laughs) ugly when it runs over that. That's a good video. (laughs) That does make a good video. So lots more pet tech coming out. There's almost too much pet tech out there at the moment, but look, it's all got Bluetooth. If it's got Bluetooth, it's got to be good, okay?
0: (laughs) And another story from the AI Vault. The problem-solving capabilities of artificial intelligence are enormous and they're growing, and the implications for our species are unchartable. In a recent development, AI's contribution to bettering the world has entered the realm of cutting-edge breast cancer research. Matt, recruiting AI into medicine. This is some big news.
1: It is big news. and There's a couple of things that are interesting here. The World Health Organization says that early detection remains the cornerstone of breast cancer control. So that's good. Yeah, that's right. Be tested more often. Make sure you get regular checkups. That's all fantastic.
0: For so many of the cancers. But Yeah, 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 yeah. you're spot
1: on there. Then you look at the UK, for example, as one country or one area as an example. There's a 30% shortage of radiology consultants. So here we say, World Health Organization, go and get checked regularly. Great, I'll check in. Hold on. I'm sorry, we haven't got enough radiologists, no. so you're going to have to wait for many months. Oh, I've got a bit of a lump here. Sorry, you've got a bit of a cue there. Early detection goes yeah, out the window yeah. when you can't get in to actually see someone. And to the world of AI. The first thing they did with this particular tool was they put up scans of breasts that had been scanned for potential cancers, and then they actually watched where the eyes of the radiographer went on the scans all oh, right just try and see where wow. the most likely places for an abnormality would be then when they found examples the radiographers found examples of something that was abnormal that might need to be tested further then they fed that information into an ai tool so i'm looking in this area first and i'm looking for things that look a bit like this one here this is clean this is clean this one no let's have a look at this further based on those two pieces of information. They've now got an AI tool, and what they're doing with this is they're taking the breast scans, feeding it straight to AI for a start, and AI is saying, clear, clear, oh, this one in these areas has something that looks a bit different, send that through to a real life person. So there's still a person that looks at these at the end of the day, but what it's doing is removing the need for a human to look at every single scan. If it's pretty clear that nothing's wrong there, AI gives it the big green tick, and on you go, come back again next year and have a nice life. So essentially, you've got this way of doing the initial check, taking advantage of the humans that are there to maximise their output rather than have humans checking, checking every single scan, and most of them, I'm assuming, are clear.
0: Yeah, in a situation where there's a real uh, shortage of people that do the job, yeah, AI can really step in. That's great news.
1: And of course, one of the things they talk about is that AI is taking away jobs, but what I'm seeing more and more from AI at the moment is it's not taking away filling the job, it's filling a hole. That's exactly right. Now, this is a hole that it might be filling that might eventually lead to some job losses, so we don't want to kid ourselves about it. But at mm. the moment, if you've got the option of not scanning because we don't have enough people, or let's use some AI to scan, well, it yeah. can improve someone's life or lives of many people actually.
0: The art of the deepfake is deception at its worst. The whole idea of a deepfake ties knots in my stomach, I've got to say. Their very existence is designed to have you question everything that you know and play with your understanding of the past and how the world works. To gaslight you with sounds and images and modify your memories. Very unsettling indeed. A new plague of deepfake clips have emerged to distort the memories of our favourite films, Matt. I don't like it. I want to talk about
1: an experiment that was done in 2001.
0: So it's less of a plague and more of an experiment. No. No? No, no, it's a plague now, but it started as an experiment. (laughs) We're going back 22
1: years now. And this experiment was about the malleability of human memory. Hmm. It's one of my favourite scientific experiments. Researchers Elizabeth Loftus and Jackie Pickrell were doing some tests on this whole idea of memory malleability. So they set up this really clever study... And they were presumably at university, so it would have been university students getting their beer money for the weekend by coming in and being part of the study. And they were told that the study was completely different to what they were really trying to test. As part of the fake questions that they had, there were some advertisements in these questions that had Bugs Bunny at Disneyland. Now, Bugs Bunny is a Warner Brothers product. Yeah. Yeah. Bugs Bunny would never be at Disneyland. Bugs Bunny <laughs> would never be seen dead at Disneyland.
0: This is already starting to really play with my ocean. Uh, <laughs> you're right. So, as part of these tests. Disneyland answer, probably wouldn't have wanted Bugs Bunny to be hanging around.
1: Absolutely not. There would have been Mickey Mouse coming over and saying, What are you doing <laughs> what here, are Bugs? You
0: doing? <laughs> yeah, good work. Yeah, <laughs> so,
1: during these tests, they had to answer a bunch of questions. There were these images of Bugs Bunny at Disneyland. Then, after the formal part of the experiment, there were some conversations I had with these test subjects, and one of the simple, just random questions, oh, how are you going? Hey, I'm off to Disneyland this weekend with my kids. Have you ever been to Disneyland? And if the answer was no, it was, okay, have a nice day. If the answer was yes, oh, don't you love it when Bugs Bunny comes out and shakes your hand? And, get ready for it, oh, no. 30% of those people said, yeah, I love that part. That was fantastic. They kept asking them further questions. They were convinced uh. that Bugs Bunny was part of Disneyland because they'd just been fed all these subtle images of Bugs Bunny at Disneyland. (laughs)
0: I'm going to turn off from all popular media and (laughs) uh, I just don't want to be any part of it anymore.
1: So this then said to these researchers that this memory they had was obviously impossible. So this memory they had was being manipulated or part of the malleable concept of memory. Now, That was all fun for that experiment. And it's not often you'll see some ads with Bugs Bunny Disney in it. Mm. But now, let's jump forward 22 years when we've got some other technology that's a bit better than what we had back then. Some testers have done a study where they did a film clip, just a short film clip, with Charlize Theron in Captain Marvel. The actual part was played by Brie Larson. It was a short clip. Then they quizzed these people about the new film starring Theron. And 70% of them remembered seeing that film. It wasn't a film. It was a 30-second clip. But 70% were convinced they'd seen a film with Theron in Captain Marvel. Now, they went further. And some of them, I liked some of the choices they made. For example, they put Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie in The Shining, which I thought sounded quite interesting. (laughs) Uh, Will Smith was Neo in The Matrix. And Chris Pratt was taking on the iconic role in Indiana Jones. Now, not only did they have anywhere from 70 to 75% of these viewers saying that, yes, I remember that film, some of them, for example, said that they liked Chris Pratt's version of Indiana Jones better than Harrison Ford. Oh. 13% thought that Chris Pratt was a better <laughs> Indiana than Harrison Ford based on their recollection of the film that they'd seen.
0: So this alarms me enormously because it should. It makes me question everything that I can remember now.
1: <laughs> well, I've actually thought about this a little bit, not for this story. I thought about it once, once before, and people say, "Oh, yes, I can remember something that happened when I was six years old, or twenty years ago, or thirty years ago." I'm actually convinced, with absolutely no data to back me up, <laughs> that we cannot, we cannot remember something. From that long ago. The only way we actually have a recollection of it is because over the years we've recalled it on several occasions. Yes, yeah, So we're
0: remembering the memory of it.
1: With the, exactly right. So there might be some famous childhood story that happened mm-hmm. when you were five or six years old. But because you've told that over the years and you get together with family gatherings, oh James, remember yes. that time that you fell off the swing and broke and it your arm? Evolves, yeah. And you can't really remember it when it happened. But because it's been you've been reminded about that constantly over the years, and we don't know a lot about memory. One thing we do know about memory is that it needs repetition to keep it there. So when you're learning a part in a play or when you're learning a poem, whatever, you repeat it and that's how you remember it. But then you go forward a few years you try and go back to a play that you're in ten years ago and remember the part. Well, it's as no. if it never happened to you because yep. you can't really remember from ten years ago. So, research. You go and do some some work on that for me because I'm convinced that's the theory. Or the, that I and the, this is why
0: arguments, family arguments, occur around the Christmas table about how something happened 10, 15 years ago. Well, <laughs> and we all have a different take on it, and so, and it comes down to the one who's most insistent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a funny one recently. My so. There is one fact in this story. My brother broke his arm falling off a motorbike uh, when he was, I don't know, way at university, so in in his early 20s maybe. And I have some vague recollection that when I was learning to drive, someone, mum or dad or one of my big brothers or sisters, when they teach me how to drive, there was an overtaking manoeuvre some car was doing in front and they said, don't ever follow a car overtaking. Wait till that car has finished its overtaking manoeuvre, which Mm. is good advice because that's how your brother broke his arm. When he he followed a car out on his motorbike and then when that car pulled in, there's a car in front, oh no, and he didn't hit it but he fell off and trying to get out of the road. So that seems like a a good family story, a good lesson for the rest of the family based on a brother's broken arm. And we were having this discussion around the dinner table and my brother was in America at the time and so we are all chatting about it and we all had different versions of this same story. And finally we said, well, let's contact our brother. What a concept. (laughs) Let's ask him. He said, no, I never followed a car out. It was a completely separate incident <laughs> where I broke yeah. my arm. I have no idea what you're talking about with following a car out. Right? <laughs> so this not amazing? <laughs> that I'd been repeating for years and years yeah. about safe driving. Okay. In fact, I've probably given the same lesson <laughs> to my kids. <laughs> Don't follow the car out because your uncle broke his arm like this. <laughs> so yes, I'm convinced that our yeah. memory is completely malleable. Yeah. And now you would say, well, it's all right. If you've got some video or a photo of it, then there's the proof. But of course now, moving on to the point of the story, mm. deep fakes, the deep fakes are getting that good that obviously people are completely fooled by these people in these very scenes. Now, one of the things at the moment that we've been talking about before is the strike in Hollywood the actors strike the writers were going on strike first of all yeah. and the actors didn't care that much but the actors have gone on strike because of some of this technology using their imagery in some deep fake i mean we talked about it before that Harrison Ford's been deaged yeah. when you get the deep fakes that good that someone thinks that Chris Pratt was Indiana Jones well, if someone's convinced about that on a thirty second clip, well then what's to stop you putting Chris Pratt in the entire movie? That's right. And Chris Pratt was never there in the first place. It was all done with deep fake. So it's a pretty scary concept. So now That's it. I'm gonna see-
0: build a shack out in the bush <laughs> and just live in that and not have anything to do with technology. At Seeing
1: all. isn't always believing now that's <laughs> that's the scary part that's, that's it Seeing
0: isn't believing
1: no that's right you've got to look at it and then you But got you know
0: about memories you know it's certain sounds and certain smells can really bring about memories very vividly yeah particularly from your childhood very nostalgic memories any smells look if i smell pipe smoke my father used to smoke a pipe that brings back a real sense of nostalgia uh, for me and with it a lot of other you know memories too all wonderful memories but um yeah, I think if people start playing with that mm, and what that. they had, twisting your, s- what memories you have with smells and yeah. ser- certain sounds, yep. oh no, they <laughs> oh, anyway, no. very scary. We're living in the matrix. Never fear, folks. There is a defence against deep fakes. Thank you, Intel, for your deep fake detection system. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you Fake Catcher. Matt, here comes the cavalry.
1: Hopefully, and they're getting it right pretty much most of the time Oh, 90, pretty much most of the time. 96%. Oh, is that's where we're good. At. That's yeah. not too bad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But what it's doing in this particular little Fake Catcher, it looks for blood flow changes in the face of the video. So right. when you've got a human there, there's obviously some very subtle flows of blood in your face. Now, I can't see them in a person, but obviously the technology, and again, assuming the technology has got a high enough resolution image to work with, it can detect these blood flow changes. And it says, that's a real human because I can see the blood flying. Oh, hold on. There's no blood flying. There we go. There's the first indicator that that's a fake. Oh, wow. Now, that's good if you've got a high res image to work with. If the image isn't quite as high resolution and, for example, you might be saying, look at this footage we captured at night time with some blurry images there, this is the best we could do, then it's not going to be able to pick mm. up the blood flow changes because it's too grainy, so it's too pixelated. But at least you've got something you're working on there. Mm. The fact that it's still only 96% it's not 100% is quite interesting. There's a, a, another one called Clearview AI, And that can work with trying to create images that have got something that fools people, but again, not the blood flow going through the face. And so how long before some of the deep fake technology starts to add blood flow in the face? Now that they know that's for As soon as you give
0: away this, yeah. That's right. That's the next thing for the deep fakers to work on.
1: Yeah. So Intel have elaborated on that and told people that's how they do it, but is that all they're doing? I hope there's some other things there. The voices is the other part of it. How do you pick up mm. the voices as being deep fake? Because you could hear a voice from a radio interview, for example. And you oh, yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely Billy Bloggs. And, yep, he's talking about that. Putting the voice together with the face makes it even more compelling. But, wow, how do we know what's real anymore? No,
0: we don't. Oh, no, scary. we are in the Matrix. In the world of scamming, nothing is sacred and anything digital is presented as an opportunity for plunder. Loyalty programs are the new Trojan horse, and the bad guys are masking themselves in frequent flyer and free gear incentives. Matt, the three sure things: death, taxes, and scammers trying to prise themselves into your circle of confidence.
1: Mm, And points. This is an interesting one. Most of the time you think scammers are going for your bank account or trying to get you to pay money to someone, maybe they're chasing your identity. You wouldn't really think about point schemes. And there's lots of them out there, obviously, Qantas Mm. and Telstra and Coles and Woolworths and a whole bunch of other ones out there. But in the last four months alone, 209 scam reports were made specifically involving points scams. So the first thing you think of is, well, I haven't got many points in there. Who cares if they get in and steal my points? If they get themselves a hairdryer or a toaster, then good Mm. luck to them. I'm not really going to miss that and really cry too much about that. It's not like they've stolen my life savings. But be a little bit aware because once they get into your account and some of these point schemes, maybe their security isn't as strong as your bank account or maybe you don't Mm. put as much importance on it as your bank account, so they may be soft targets And then once they get in, they may find your date of birth and your home address and your details.
0: That whole Trojan horse thing, yeah? Exactly
1: right. Enough details there that they can say, I reckon I've got this person's identity. Thanks Mm. very much. I don't care about your pity little toaster there that you can clam on points. Have your toaster. Mm. I've got your identity. I can go and take out a home loan. Thanks very much. So I suppose the lesson here is really just make sure that you are putting as much importance on your password, your PIN, your security around your point scheme as you would around your bank account. And the other one is that you might get that email from, inverted commas, Qantas or Coles or someone that you trust to go and fix up something in your point system. The same way you treat an email from the bank that sends you a link to click on, you'd Mm. probably be smart enough to go, I'm not falling for that one. When you get something from any of your point providers, Pretend it's coming from your bank and then how would you treat it? Yeah. It's a, it's a more common scam than we'd realise. So in 2022, to give you an idea of just how big this problem is becoming, $3.1 billion we lost to scams. Mm. $2 billion the year before. So it's going up despite... Mm. The fact that we talk about it, James. That's right. Listen to Tech Talk more. (laughs) We'll give you the hints to help you out here. Oh,
0: goodness me. But it only needs to catch someone in a weak moment too. You know, you're tired. It's been a long day at work. And you get this thing. You know, I've got something from a frequent flyer. Things just click on this. Okay, no worries. And then you go, oh, hang on. I'm not supposed to click on that.
1: They're relying on a numbers game. And they're relying on some people. For example, some of the freight scams that we've seen. There's enough people getting deliveries on a constant basis that when you see a text message and yep. an email come through talking about your parcel, there's a pretty good chance that some of the millions of people that are sent that to are going to have a parcel arriving that yep. day. So it makes sense for that to happen. So it's the same with this. You might have been having some sort of interaction with your points. You might have ordered something on your points, whatever. Yep. You see something come through about your points. Oh, yep, I've been dealing with that. So it's not that unusual mm. to see something related to your points and then yeah you just click on it and next thing you know and
0: fair enough the banks aren't going to get you to click on a link and, and that's uh, taken as granted but um, there's a number of different organisations that might might just ask you to click on a link
1: yeah and I hope it's <laughs> less and less now but it yeah. is that whole oh, it's thing going to
0: become yeah so anyone who's legitimate is not going to ask you to click on a link
1: no no that's mm. exactly right
0: Remember the old days when Ferraris were red, Tim Tams were made only from milk chocolate and Dunlop volleys were the only runners. Well today, we need choice in everything, and I mean everything. If you're trying to flog a product, you've got to give options. It's why there was once a thing as cheesy might, folks. Not to be left behind though, Google Maps of all things are offering more choice. Like always, you plug in your destination and they offer you, offer you detour routes, Sure. And we always pick the fastest route. Matt, what is Google Maps offering now that could possibly be better than the faster route?
1: Well, let's go back to your Dunlop volleys. I'm not sure you could run in Dunlop volleys, could you? They were so well, flat on the bottom. <laughs> didn't you automatically? So that's a... why they invented
0: gym boots. That's right. Because I thought it came with. <laughs> Which a... were only a slightly little bit better, though. Had they had ankle support or something. They had me. at least half a millimetre
1: of rubber at the bottom, whereas the Dunlop volleys had zero and rubber then at the came bottom. The KT26. Now you're talking. Now you are talking. <laughs> For the Dunlop volleys, I thought they were guaranteed, guaranteed to come with a spinal injury. They yeah, was, that's they were right. sponsored by chiropractors around the you're world. you are just better off running in bare feet. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, though. We have got choices in so many things, and it's always interesting to see the different options that come up when you click on Google Maps and you say you want to go from A to B. But they've now got their fuel efficient route. Now, this should be irrelevant because you should be driving EVs. Yeah, that's right. But ignore that for the moment. The fuel efficient route will use less fuel. So now, there's some pretty heavy algorithms going on in the background here. Yeah. Algorithms about the shortest versus the fastest route. And I always like it. Sometimes I'll use my maps to go somewhere local that's three or four kilometres away because I'm just interested to see which route it would choose and which route I would choose knowing the local streets, mm. thinking, is that one actually shorter? Are they choosing that one because it's got traffic lights or not it, traffic lights?
0: Just being lazy and they just the most common route?
1: It could be, exactly right. And I'll avoid traffic lights if I can because – Traffic lights, I reckon I'm a 50 50 chance of getting a red, whereas other <laughs> intersections, I reckon I might be able to just breeze on through. But so, surely,
0: yeah, sometimes the red is a longer pause than a green. So it's probably about 75 25. Well, it could be too, yeah. Mm. So
1: I, and I've done some experiments, as co- of course I have, going from uh, <laughs> common places I go to where I'll do a stopwatch and see exactly the speed of it going via stoplight way and going via non stoplight way. You know, just to get myself amused and <laughs> just doing some of those. And I find typically the non-stoplight way is better. Yeah. But again, I live in a non-congested city. In, yeah. in a Sydney, it might be a bit different. But this one here, I'm not sure of the algorithm they use to go down the fuel-efficient route. You would think it would be the shortest distance, but maybe mm. not well, always. Well, it's
0: all about the acceleration and deceleration, isn't That's it? That's
1: right. So less stop start. So maybe it takes the
0: non- Fewer hills. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, all of that. So someone sat there and went, I'm going to think about this for a while and then build an algorithm to give more wow. fuel efficient routes. Now, this did debut back in 2021. What Google says, they might be biased, they said they've reduced the amount of CO2 emissions by one percent 2 million tonnes. That's the equivalent, they say, of taking 250,000 cars off the road for a year. That sounds like a big number, and I'd like to see their data. Yeah, I'd like to know how
0: they came to that number. (laughs) That's right. That's a big claim, but it'd be interesting if it's legitimate.
1: So they say they use machine learning to suggest the most energy-efficient path. That tells me nothing. That Mm. sounds like marketing hype there, but I do like the fact they've got it there. They've also got some other options they're bringing in now. For example, if you've got an EV, then you can say, take me down this route, but I want a route that's got some EV chargers along the way. That would Mm. be more going on a larger trip rather than just going into a small trip in the city, maybe a short trip there. So they are trying to work on things to give you smart choices, eco-friendly choices. Even, for example, Nest, which they bought out, their smart thermostats, they believe in having... The the correct settings on those, they've saved 113 billion kilowatt hours of energy and 36 million tonnes of CO2 in 10 years with that. Now, again, I have no data to back that up. These are Google's claims, let me say. So the, the nice part about it is they're working on it. They're doing things to make us more conscious, more focused on it. And maybe that means that just when you're driving, if you choose the fuel-efficient route, you might just accelerate a little bit slower away from traffic lights. You might just coast a little bit if you're driving one of those petrol car things to yeah. just make your use of fuel a little bit more efficient. On the contrary, when I'm sitting at traffic lights, if I'm first there in an EV, I can't help myself, and I just put my foot flat <laughs> to the floor because I can.
0: <laughs> well, perhaps this could be a good excuse for being late to work.
1: <laughs> Maybe I was I'm sorry, boss. To the planet,
0: I took the green route.
1: And what sort of boss is going to say? Well, that's
0: not good enough. Yes, that's right. Access to clean water, clean drinkable water, in fact, is a basic human right. However, in 2023, with a global population of over eight billion, and 8.5 percent of that in poverty, there's a significant group without access to affordable and reliable supply of fresh, drinkable water. The reasons for this are perhaps for another podcast, but about 650 million people in the world are never sure that their water is okay for consumption. So Matt is here now. You're going to share with us an innovation in the form of a little sticker that may make a huge difference for those to whom potable water is as precious as gold. Mm,
1: very, very clever. Who has a recommendation that if you want to purify some water, put it in the sun for six hours? Mm. And that method should eradicate most of the bacteria, viruses, microorganisms. Now, they're not saying take some muddy water, scrape it out of some bottom of the creek and stick it in the sun and magically 60 hours later, you'll have clear water. But it's more about water you pull from a well, water yeah. that you might take... You've
0: got to start off with a clear water.
1: Basically, yeah, make yeah, it yeah, so yeah. that it's, it looks okay to begin with. Put in the sun for six hours, and away you go. Now mm. that sounds okay.
0: So that's a UV light hitting that's, the bacteria. They that's don't right. Like it.
1: Now that sounds fine, except the sun could be in the middle of the day, sun or mm. evening sun, or you could be somewhere where the sun's low in the sky in winter, or right up high in the sky in summer. There could be some clouds around, so it's not really that accurate to say six hours. Mm. And what you find in some areas where they use this particular method is, they're Okay, most of the time, but every now and again, there'll be a bit bit of a diarrhoea outbreak in the village Mm. because probably it was cloudy for the last couple of days or the sun's lower in the sky, whatever it might be. What we've got now is an Australian scientist down in Wollongong who's invented a safe sticker. Now, the safe sticker basically is an indicator of UV exposure. You put the sticker on your clear container. You sit it out in the sun, and it probably is going to be about six hours But if the sticker hasn't changed colour from light pink to black, then it wasn't enough time. You need to leave it out in the sun. When it gets the equivalent of six hours of uh, necessary sun exposure, that sticker will change colour. When it changes colour, that water is safe to drink. How simple is that? Yeah, these stickers are one-off. Used. Well, I to assume obviously. that in
0: the middle of summer, when UV is extreme, it might even be less than six hours. It could
1: be. That's exactly right. I'm sure that when who came up with that recommendation for six hours, they took uh, average, An average. Yeah, and yeah, said, yeah. "Well, about six hours should be right most yeah, of the safe. time." Yeah. And they might have added a little bit of safety margin there. But there's so many variables. That's why might stick it out in the sun. But then the sun goes behind a tree. Mm. So there's so many variables. But with the sticker on there, there are no variables. The sticker is on the bottle. The sun is exposed or the sticker is exposed to the sun and the water is exposed to the sun. Once it's had that equivalent of enough time, then you can be pretty confident that every time that happens, you use that water and it's going to be safe to drink. So they're using this. They're doing some experiments now in Cambodia. They've been working on this for some time. They actually started with 10 families doing some tests and they found that they didn't have outbreaks of diarrhea. They didn't have any stomach cramps. They didn't have oh, any illnesses. Wow. And they've now expanded it to 1,000 households. And again, same thing happening. They're just not getting these random illnesses they used to get when they used to purify it by the random 60 hours before. Any idea
0: if the sticker is reusable? So does no, that, it's not. So yeah, it's, a, right. it's
1: a one-off use sticker, but that's okay. The stickers, and I can't tell you how much, but the stickers are cheap to produce. Yeah. So you would just produce a bunch of them and say, mm. here you go, stick those on those bottles. And if you're trying to be really clever with the use of those, you'd probably have a bunch of bottles together and you probably stick the sticker on one of them. Mm. Now I'm sure they recommend sticking on every single one, but if you put it on one in a group together,
0: it's a timer effectively.
1: It is a timer, but with exposure.
0: Yeah, that's so right. With it, exposure, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's basically going to do the check for all of them.
1: Exactly right. So I just I think that's a, a really clever method, and I love the fact that it's an Aussie in Wollongong, University of Wollongong, who says I'm going to make a change to the world. There's a a charity they run. There's a a family here that is part of this, the water gift charity. Mm. Uh, Look it up. It's actually quite interesting and, The family, there's the Butson family, a number of those people in the family have done some pretty clever things.
0: So easy for us in the Western world just to um, take fresh water for granted. Mm. Um, Yeah, what a wonderful thing that they can finally, yeah, be shared around a little bit more.
1: Talk about making a difference in the world from something that seems very clever but also very simple, Mm. as so many clever things are once someone's come up with it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And that's that for another episode of Tech Talk. We have to wind this up before we run out of cassette tape and the button pops up. Thanks for another cracking tech talk, Matt.
1: Well, yeah. Was it? I'm just, I'm still worried about deep fakes. I mean, do, yeah. we, do, we, do we need you and I anymore? Where's where it all headed? And it's worse, I think, with audio because you can probably play with audio more than you can with video and yeah, audio. Yeah, I know. So.
0: Yeah, anyway, it's... But
1: we are real. I'm just guaranteeing. But of course, if I was fake, I would say that, wouldn't I? I would say I guarantee <laughs> this is real.
0: Oh, we're meandering through a jungle, aren't we? Well, luckily, I've Googled Google map my greenest way to get home. Turns out I'm going for a drive through Beanie Forest. So well done, Google. Thanks for tuning in once again, folks. I'm your host, James Eddy. And it's a pleasure to bring you Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson each week with all the latest bibs and bobs for the future rapidly becoming the norms of here and now. We hope to catch you again in a week's time. And don't forget to bring along some new friends with you for the next episode. See you then.